The district church exists to make disciples by interrupting people's lives with love because the gospel changes everything. To learn more about the district church and for ways to give to support resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com. We are in this sermon series called Ecclesia, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when Jesus says church, the closest translation we have to that is this word Ecclesia. And so what we are saying throughout these eight weeks of this study, we are saying, God, show us what you mean when you say you are going to build your church. What does that look like? What is our role? How do we have anything to do with you building your church? And so we're looking at that as we study the book of Ephesians. It's written to multiple churches in the Valley of Ephesus. And Paul has a very good idea of what Jesus means when he says he's gonna build his church. And so we are, we are studying that together. So you can go ahead and grab your Bible and get it out because we're gonna use it today, praise God, and, and grab something to write with. Please be making notes in your phone or in your notebook, wherever it might be, because I believe God has a lot for us. Today, we're looking at discipleship. Discipleship, it's a very beautiful and unique thing. And a, um, a quick definition of discipleship would be this, a dedicated follower of Jesus. Other words might be used as a student, follower or um, an apprentice. We use that word today. But it's a dedicated follower in our context and what we're talking about of Jesus. A disciple includes the idea of being a learner who sits under a teacher and a teaching. And the goal is that they would become, they would embody physically in their bodies the teaching of that teacher. And for us, again, that's Jesus Christ. We see that within discipleship, there is a process. And we find that process in the way Jesus assembled his disciples. And um, this is just my Baker County put together of this. Um, but I think when we look at the New Testament and how Jesus assembled his disciples, it was very simply, and it was in these three things, to know, to follow, and to go. That was a process that Jesus had when we study his life and how he created disciples. To know, what we see in the New Testament is Jesus first saying before his ministry even began, come and see. Jesus says, come and see. They ask, where do, where do you live? He says, come and see. And that was a lot of Jesus's early ministry is revealing who he was, that he was the Messiah. And so to know is the knowledge of Jesus. Write that, write that down. The first part of the process of discipleship is to see, to gain a knowledge of who Jesus is, to know. The second thing in that is to follow to follow Matthew chapter four, Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, he says to follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so we see Jesus's call for us to follow. He, he called his disciples into something that was um, real, authentic, that was true, that was, it, it had substance. They saw Jesus to, the, to be the Messiah and there was no question of whether or not they would follow him, they did. And so the next part is to follow. And then the last is to go. We have the Great Commission. At the end of the book of Matthew, after Jesus' resurrection, he reveals himself to his disciples. And the last thing he says to them is this. We could go there together. Matthew 28, 19. Open your Bibles there. Matthew 28, 19. 28, 19. And Jesus says, um, Jesus says this, this is, 
Very important for us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We know that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 continues, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we have seen this. We are a church and we say the district church exists to do what? Make disciples, right? So we're serious about that. But it is not just that alone. Jesus saw it was so vital. It was so vital to add this, to add this right here. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is saying, it is, I want you to know. You don't just go loosely. You don't just go without something. You go with the teaching of Jesus Christ and all of it, all of it. It is so important that in our process of making disciples and in our going, that we know who Jesus is. We do, not, we do not go on mission and make ourselves liars in the process because we do not know Jesus. It is vital that as we are going on mission, we first have come to a place to where we have experienced Jesus. We're following him and what we have seen of him is an overflow. It overflows and it does it in this way, observing all that Jesus has taught, all that he has commanded. Another very important thing we must understand about discipleship is the cost. Discipleship comes at a great cost. Write that down. There's many great books about this. Many great books about this. And it is, it is a reality. It's a deep reality. Um, if, think about it in this way. If I was to pull up a 1992 Honda Civic outside, if you drive a 92 Honda Civic, I'm sorry. It's a great car, I'm sure. But this one, for instance, is old and worn out. And you were to take a test drive and you go down Blanding Boulevard without a problem, maybe you'd make it back. That's fine. But if I pulled up a $5 million Ferrari and parked it out there and gave you the keys, you probably would not want to touch it, much less drive it down Blanding Boulevard, right? That would be foolish. Why? Because you value it. There is a cost associated to that. You know what it is worth. It changes things when we place value on them. We must value, we must value the ability and opportunity to be called disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to value that. We don't enter into the classroom of faith and discipleship with Jesus being the professor freely. It is not free to enter into discipleship. If you're gonna be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's gonna cost you time. It's gonna cost money, energy, and emotion. It's hard. Paul's gonna show us in a second that what we are supposed to do is put off our old self and walk in the newness of Christ. Put off your old self. That is hard. It's not easy to do. But greater, much, much greater than anything we will ever give for discipleship is what it cost Jesus Christ. It cost him everything. The blood of Jesus that was poured out on a cross paid for yours and paid for my discipleship. Don't waste it. We cannot waste that. We have to see it as valuable. Not only was Jesus the perfect sacrifice, but he was the perfect example for us to follow, for us to be disciples of. Discipleship matters to us because it matters to Jesus. It matters to him. 
It's not something that is optional. It's not something that is extracurricular. It is vital in our growth, our spiritual formation. We need discipleship. We can think about it in this way, that we need constant molding, shaping us into the image of Christ. Write that down and put your name. I need, whoever you are, I need constant molding, shaping me into the image of Christ. The reality is you are a disciple of something. Something is discipling you. If it's Fox News, if it's CNN, if it's social media, whatever it is, you're being discipled by something. You're a student, you're a learner, you're sitting under something. And the reality is, is that's shaping you into something. The way that you speak, the things that you look at, all of that comes from what it is that we are allowing to pour into us. And so we need constant molding, shaping us into the image of Christ. And so I would ask this, what is molding you today? And what shape am I taking? We're gonna come back to that in a second. You are a, you're, you're a disciple of something and you're being formed into the image of something. Is it Jesus? As we look at our four Gs over the past few weeks, four Gs if you're new to the district church, these are disciplines that we hold fast to, that we believe make us, they, they shape us more into the image of Christ. And that's gathering this. We believe it is significant for the church to be together. God does great things when his people gather together. We believe in groups. We call those families of disciples, going deeper, studying God's word together, doing life together giving of our time and finances and going, living on mission. And we see that those things, those are rhythms that, that shape us and, and mold us more into Christ's image when we are walking in them. Now, um, Paul is going to teach us about discipleship here in Ephesians. And as we sit under Paul's teaching and, and as we adopt his understanding, there's a starting point in this that we cannot bypass. We have to look at this. And it's found in Ephesians 1.1. So let's jump back to Ephesians and we're gonna first look at Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Ephesians chapter one, verse one. I'll give you a second, and then we're gonna move on to a good part of chapter four. But Ephesians chapter one, verse one starts in this way. Very simply, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Very elementary. Based off of this text, who is Paul writing to? Someone whispered it, but you're right. Yeah, he's writing to the saints. What does that mean? This is massive for us to understand this as we are studying Ephesians. This means that what we are about to see in this text is not meant for us to take and hold the world accountable to. That's madness, that's insanity to take something here in this text that is meant for the building up of the body of Christ for the saints and hold someone who does not even know or follow Jesus accountable to that. They can't follow a God that they don't know. And so we have to see that as we are studying Ephesians that this is for those who are followers of Christ. If you're in Christ, this is for you. Paul is about to instruct us and disciple us. And the instruction he gives is to the saints. And so... Before we study this, let's remember the strategy that we've been walking through. Throughout this series, Ephesians 1.10, God is working to unite all things unto himself through Christ Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth. So we remember that, that Jesus is building his church, is building his kingdom. And then in Ephesians, Paul is teaching us how God is building his church. But he also shows us multiple times what's in contradiction to that. So God's building his kingdom and Paul is illuminating to us what we are up against and what we are fighting. So let's go to Ephesians chapter four and we'll begin in verse 21. 
I'm not gonna display this text up here. I'd love for you to open your Bible and read it and mark it up and highlight and underline things. There's a big chunk of it that we're gonna work through. But it's Ephesians chapter four, verses 21. And we'll read through 32. It says this. Assuming that you have heard about him and we're taught in him as the truth is in Christ Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desire. You are to put on and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, wow. Praise God for this. How rich this is for us. Let's understand the context. Okay. This is a letter written to multiple churches in in Ephesus. Again, um, these are a people who culture has brought about division for years, thousands of years. Culture has brought about a differing and divided people. And again, Ephesians 1.10, God is working to unify, to bring restoration to those people in God and to those people in one another. God's working to bring unity in this division. And for us, this is a mini handbook for discipleship, if we'll study it in that way. So back to verse 21, Um, where Paul writes, he is reassuring. He says, I'm assuming that you've heard about him. I'm assuming you're a saint. I'm assuming you are in Christ because what I'm about to tell you, that's who it's for. And this uh, letter would have been written by Tychicus. And that's who is listed at the end of chapter six, who Paul says to bless him. And that's the one who's believed to be bringing this before the churches. And it's read not by chapter, but Paul is saying, basically, if, if you're reading this like the way it was written, if you're reading this like it's supposed to be read, then you would see, you'd start from verse one and you'd know this is for the saints. He goes on to say, if that is you, put, you've put off your old self. You've put that, you've put that away. He says, being, being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And um, I think I have this in a slide, I hope I do. Yes, yes. uh, Yeah, discipleship is the constant dying to ourself and living unto Christ. Okay, write that down. This is what we are up against. This is what we are up against. When we are studying discipleship, discipleship is the constant dying to ourselves and living unto Christ. And then in verse 23 through 24, he continues and he shows us this beautiful imagery and illustration. And he says that we can now obtain Christ's likeness with true righteousness and holiness. That's what Paul says. We have the ability in putting off our old self as we are in Christ to obtain this. What that means is that I have the ability to see created things 
in the way that God created them to be. I have the ability to hear sound, to listen to music in the way music was created to be heard. I have the ability to look upon and love my children in the way that God designed a daddy to love his little kids. I have the ability to love my wife in the way that God designed a husband to love his wife. We have the ability to function as a church as God designed the church to function. Does that make sense? We have that. That's what Paul is saying. There's a renewal that we get to be a part of. Our question should be, how? How? How do I get that? How do I attain that? If that's what's available to us. And then Paul continues. And we have to remember, as we've been studying this, we, Paul talks about the ages. We remember that, that we are citizens of this present age. And in the present age exists darkness and sin and brokenness. And Jesus ushered in through his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God. And so the ecclesia sits in this overlapping reality of us living in the present age while also experiencing the kingdom of God, right? We see Paul talking about the present age and the age to come, death and life, the old self, the new self. He's gonna continue to make these very um, large contrasts between these two places. But that's what Paul is saying, that what we are battling against with discipleship is the constant cutting off of our old self, living in the present age and focusing on the kingdom of God and living in this place. And what this does, when we think about it in this way, we, ha we have to think that we ourselves were born into the present age, as Paul's language is. We were born into the present age. What that means is that we are products and we are results of the present age. We are results of this world. The way that we talk, that's been adopted by what we have experienced and what's been our nature. The things we see, our dreams, our intentions, our ambitions, everything has been produced in us by the present age, right? And so, when we think about it in this way, it makes the life of Jesus so much greater to us. I'm gonna explain that in a second. When we, when we think about the life of Jesus, it, this makes it so much more significant. When we think that we are citizens of this present age, everything we know, everything that we have has been given to us, born about in sin and brokenness. We are called to be new creations, right? And where our home is heaven and we would be citizens of heaven. How do we live like that? We've never seen it. All we've seen is brokenness. How sweet it is that Jesus would come as the purest, the truest, the most sincere image of heaven. And he would live a life for us to follow that we could be disciples of. It makes the life of Jesus so much sweeter when we think that he did not look like this world because he was not of this world. And that was visible, that was permanent to people. And so as citizens of heaven, we need Jesus to show us what that looks like. We need Jesus to show us how we are to live while we are here. We need his life to follow. We need to sit under his teaching moment after moment, day after day. What Jesus did and who he was reflects where he was from. He did not live as one from this age or this place. And people saw that. And the way that we live should not reflect where we are from in this present age, but where we are going and what we are bought into. So we can say it in this way. Um, we have new tools for new creations. Let's talk about that. We're gonna break down the rest of this text and you could write that down. New tools for new creations. Okay, why do you, why do you need a new tool? 
What is wrong with where you are and what you have? Most of us sit in this room and you're pretty comfortable. You've probably saved a little bit of money. Maybe you've gotten married. Maybe you've had kids. Maybe you've bought some stuff. You have a house. You've built a life for yourself. Seems like you're doing pretty all right. What tools do you need? Why, why, why do the tools that you have not work? It seems as if we're doing just fine, right? Well, when we look at this, verse 22, and Paul says to put off your old self, he says, put off your old self. We understand it in this way. The work of salvation was instant. If God saved you, he saved you instantly. There's not a 30-day waiting period or a trial for then you to then enter into salvation. It's instant and it is enough. And nothing is gonna change that. But what there is, is there's constant discipline. There is constant putting off of our old self to live in that way as we are in this present age. There's a battle to put off our old selves. And at times, even as followers of Christ, we don't speak like followers of Christ. At times, even as followers of Christ, we don't look at things that are honoring to God. At times, even as followers of Christ, our behavior and our intentions do not reflect followers of Christ. You're looking at me like it's just me and I'm starting to get a little self-conscious. Thank you. It's all of us. It's all of us. That's the reality of where we are, that we do not focus on the age to come. We do not focus, we are constantly putting off our old selves and seeking God. We constantly have to do that. And we can further understand it by looking at it in this way. Again, as Paul talks about these ages, we have to be reminded of something because we see this on Paul's minds throughout different degrees and contrasts he makes. Again, we were born into sin. You were born into sin. I'm sorry if you might have lived a pretty good life or you might not have thought about it in that way. Others have experienced real, real darkness. All of us have been born into a sinful nature and a sinful world. And so with that in mind, what we see is that we enter into the body of Christ pre-programmed from the present age and the brokenness of creation. Write that down. We enter into the body of Christ pre-programmed from the present age and the brokenness of creation. It's what I'm saying here. Even followers of Christ, we enter in pre-programmed. We enter in with this nature, with these rhythms. We enter into the body of Christ flawed still, even still. We are pre-programmed by what the world has given to us and where we have been. That's our nature and it's all we've known. So let's think about it in this way. We enter in as new creations. We are followers, we are believers. We are the ecclesia. We're pre-programmed from the life that we have lived and what we bring into our life as Christians is a toolbox filled with broken tools. Let's think about that. Paul's gonna lay it out for us. What, what is, Paul says in verse 25, he says to speak truth. If you're not telling the truth, what are you telling? A lie. That's a tool. A lie is a tool. And Paul is giving us a new toolbox of tools that we are to use as new creations. And it's almost madness. I think that's the significance of Paul saying, I'm telling you the church. I'm telling you in Christ. Because it's insanity to expect someone who is not in Christ to live in this way. 
They don't have access to those tools. They don't understand how they work. We enter into followers of Christ, believers. We have a seat at the table of God and we have a backpack filled with tools that do not work. When discipleship does not take place, we carry them throughout our life. And it looks like this. It looks like someone who would be a follower of Christ, who would be a follower of Christ, who would come to a situation, whether in chaos or catastrophe, or just maybe in a situation of a rhythm and not even knowing what they're doing. And instead of having the tools to work through a situation, they would result to lying. Paul says it in other ways, stealing, anger. Paul's giving these degrees and he shows us tools that we have to use as we are new creations in Christ. And this is what we do as believers. Instead of looking at someone who would be in a situation where they would lie, there's a, there's a follower of Christ, a brother or sister, and they would resort, resort to lying or stealing. Another follower of Christ might say, they are not saved by God. They are not producing fruit. They don't know him because if they did know him, they would not live in that way. And we would immediately question their salvation instead of looking and see, no, they don't have the proper tools to follow Christ. Why don't you equip them? Why don't you tell them? And we do that. Oh my gosh, I've seen it. I've seen Christians sit on the other side of the aisle and say they're not a follower of Christ because they're not producing fruit. Instead, they're working in an orchard with false tools that do nothing. We need to see that. Instead of bringing condemnation and shame and guilt upon someone else, why don't you step in and show them the tools that, they're, that they are to use and that they have available to them. Instead of bringing guilt and shame upon someone, why don't you step in and say, brother or sister, I trust your heart. I believe you do love Christ. And I see that you're using or you're doing something in this situation that is not right. Whether it's lying, whatever it might be. And I believe that you wanna fix this. I believe your heart is to restore. Whether a relationship, whatever it might be. And lying is not gonna do it. That's a tool from an old creation. It did not work then, it's not gonna work now. And instead we go to God's word in the book of John and we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The tool you need is confession and repentance. Go to the Lord. Seek the Lord in forgiveness and go to that person in forgiveness. Lying is a tool that is not going to work. And that's discipleship. That is discipleship. That is us seeing from the Lord the tools that we have as new creations and using them. There are people who sit in this room who have maybe been followers of Christ for many, many years in a broken toolbox. There's people who sit in this room and that have been brought guilt, have been pushed away because the things that they have done in, in fumbling to follow the Lord has led to more and more and more problems. And Christians have scoffed. Believers have scoffed instead of following the life of Jesus and stepping in to point to him. Let me say this. Discipleship is a constant inward and outward stream. And talking about inward, um, whether you are here listening to this now or some other time in an audio file, and you are hurt and you are tired and you are weary and you are broken and you are dry or whatever adjective you want to attach to it. You're climbing a mountain that you cannot escape 
in sin or lust or in addiction or anger or a situation at work or a situation with your family, whatever it might be, and it's hard for you to follow Jesus and you don't even know if it's worth it. Tools don't mean a thing to you right now. You don't know what to do. You're lost. Let me just say, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep following Jesus and don't believe for a moment that he is looking upon you with the expectation of more or that you have not become who he wants you to be. If you are in Christ, you are who he wants you to be. There's a great process of refining and putting off your old self and God desires that for you. But he does not look upon you as others may have and produce shame and guilt and condemnation for you to arrive at this destination point of a true disciple, of a true child, of a true follower of Christ. It does not exist. It does not exist. Our entire lives, we are doing what Paul says of cutting off our old self and following Christ. And God's desire for you is to express that to you. See the Father's heart for you. See the Father's heart and the tools that we have available to follow after him. There's great work to be done in bringing separation from our old self and our sin, and God wants that for us, but do not ever get tired of being a student of Christ. Never get tired of being a child of God. And when you get there, keep going, keep going, keep going, because it's the constant molding that creates a shape. It's the constant molding. If you see a rock that's been placed in the water, it was not a rush of water that immediately made a shape. It was constant. You don't feel like coming to church? Come. You don't feel like going to your group? Go. You don't know if you can give? Give. It's the constant disciplines that we have that make us into the image of Christ. And there's no destination, there's not an arrival point, but what there is, is a life of new and of constant and of beautiful revelations of Christ Jesus, his creation and his plan and his purpose for us. That's what is ahead of us. Discipleship is such a beautiful and well-manufactured design that Jesus gives to us. We have to see it in that way. And so um, we can respond with this. You guys can come up and we'll... We'll close in this way. Um, you are a disciple of something. You are um, a disciple of something. You are being formed into the image of something. What is it? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? What are you allowing to speak into your life and what are you taking the shape of? Is it more of Jesus? And if that's hard for you to answer, you have a beautiful opportunity to, today to say my desire is that it would be Jesus. I want that to be Jesus. I want to take shape in Christ's likeness. I wanna be the man that God created me to be. I wanna be the husband that God designed a husband to be, the father, the laborer, the son, the friend. There's beauty for us on the other side of discipleship and following and trusting Jesus. For the rest of us who are followers of Christ, if it is Jesus, if you are being made into his image, if you are an apprentice of Christ, let me ask you this as we go back to Matthew and the Great Commission. Have you seen and experienced what Paul says is true righteousness and holiness? Or do you only know parts of Jesus's nature and character? Have you been taught and are you seeking the fullness of God? Or have you gotten a taste and allowed that to be enough? Are you running after Christ? Is he sweet to you? Does it even matter anymore? 
There's so much of Christ left on the table for us. When we pull up a chair and when we look, when we seek him, we will find him. And so are you experiencing parts of his nature or the fullness of God? I'd love to pray with you. Um, We're gonna move into a time of prayer. So what that looks like is our um, pastors and elders and group leaders are here in the front. The band's gonna play a little bit. Um, When you wake up in the morning, if you work on a work day, um, you prepare to go to work to get stuff done. And I said this before, but oftentimes we can lose that discipline to church. You can come here and sit and think that walking in this door is doing the work. That great work happens when we are here but there is greater work to be done and do not neglect to do the work today to ask God for more of himself or to ask for a revelation and new life in him at all. So I'll be right here. I'd love to pray with you guys. Stand and let me pray for us as we respond. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the teaching of your word. I thank you that you reveal so much of yourself to us and that there is more and there is more and it is not, It is not this dreadful thing that we have in our pursuit of you, but it is beautiful, God. You give us more of yourself and you show us that. God, I see the love of Christ in my little boy and my little girl. And I see that in my wife. I see that in my friends. I see that in creation. And that is a gift that you give to us. As you give us more of yourself, also give us the tools that we need to follow you. God, to worship you in the way that you designed us to be worshipers, to seek you in the way that you are, you are created to be sought after. Give us the tools that we need to walk this life as Jesus did. When there's time for us to stop and stand in silence and solitude, would we do that? When there's, when there's time for us to labor and work, would we do that and would you show us how? Would you show us the tools that we have available to us in Christ Jesus? Would we not be afraid of them? but would we gladly go after them in our pursuit of following you? Give us more and more and more of yourself. I pray for those in this room who are weak and who are broken, who have experienced real darkness. Maybe this morning, maybe this week, maybe yesterday. God, that you would be with them. Your grace is sufficient. It is enough. And so would it cover? Allow us to be the ecclesia that you designed. Allow us to love and serve one another. Build us up in our likeness and holiness to you. We ask in the good name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. To learn more about the District Church and for ways to give to further resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com.